Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I am delighted to have Melinda Schmidt here on the podcast. Always great conversation when Melinda is a part of Faith Conversations. So Melinda, thanks for um, joining me today. Well, that's how I feel when I get to talk with you. It's always a great conversation. Which I kind of laugh and go, thanks for joining me today. Like, right. You you have, you are full of ideas. Um, you have great ideas. And often I'll get a little um, email from you saying, hey, I was thinking about this. I wonder <laughs> if this would be a good podcast. And then, of course, my response is always, of course it will. <laughs> And that Let's, actually happened this week, didn't it? Did it? Happen. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I really love this because um, you emailed me uh, initially before we even talked about a podcast, you just sent a poem or two. And I thought, and I love poetry. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, that sounds so good. And then before I know it, you were talking more about, let's maybe do a podcast and talk about some of these poems. Mm -hmm. And I will say this, I think most people uh, like poetry. Most people, I'll also add this, are afraid of poetry, struggle mm -hmm. knowing how to read poetry. But the more you do it, the more you understand it. Mm -hmm. And the better we, you get at understanding it. And I think we have to choose who to read. Yes, as well. You know, there's you know, every poet has their own style yes. and the way they communicate. And for many, Mary Oliver has been a great mm -hmm. entryway into contemporary poetry. Um, but I consider Lucy Shaw to be another one of those who for years, do you remember her book from way back, Listening to the Green, yes. was one of those Christian voices who wrote poetry. And those two things really in evangelicalism didn't go together, did they? <laughs> no, or, or no, it, well, uncertain, certainly thoughtful poetry didn't because oh, a lot of times are. it was really cheesy. Remember, like yeah, I forgot way, way about that old yeah. Sunday school papers. If you, I mean, if you go way back yeah. in the cheesy, rhymy, rhymy type thing. Yes, exactly. That's, and of course, hymns are a form of poetry, but, um, Lucy, I, I just remember her as as one of the first. And I, I'm sure there are mm -hmm. others listening who are calling out other names and saying, <laughs> well, long before Lucy, I got onto this or that yeah. uh, poet, or maybe even Christian poet. But uh, well, I, yeah, I wondered what got you thinking about Lucy, you know, now. To oh, begin with. well, I picked up a book last year uh, called The Generosity. I actually heard her speak on um, the Renovare podcast. And she is older. I think maybe she's in her eighties and lives in, um, the Pacific Northwest. And I heard her talk about how she still writes every day. I love that. And That's I was so like, good. you, you, and she <laughs> read a couple things. It's oh, great. And I thought, I want to get back in touch with you. So ordered the book and uh, just picked it up again recently. Nice. Well, um, I uh, was looking at some of Lucy's bio and speaking of Pacific Northwest, she's been a writer in resident 
residence at Regent College in Vancouver since 1986. Hmm. That's amazing. So she's had a long run. She was born in England in 1928, which I don't think I realized that she was born in in England. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, A poet and essayist, you know, if you're, if you're familiar with her at all, Um, she's written nearly 40 books of poetry and creative nonfiction and, and some, oh, I really highly recommend checking out some of her creative nonfiction besides her poetry. She and her husband, John Hoyt live in, in Bellingham, Washington, like you said. And of course her her first husband was her beloved Harold Shaw. Oh, that's right. And so you remember that's Harold right. Shaw Publishers, an yes. independent publisher in the suburbs of Chicago yes. who was committed to thoughtful writing. Always, always. And it was a God sad bless day. Harold Shaw. Yeah. It was a sad day when Harold Shaw Publishing went away. Mm, yeah. Oh, I'm thank you for that reminder. Yeah. I had forgotten that. Wow. Well, and this book that we're going to be uh, looking at some poetry from is called, you said it already, but I'll just repeat it. And it'll be in the show notes also. It's called The Generosity Poems, mm-hmm. again, by, by Lucy Shaw. Yeah. And in the introduction, Lucy writes, here's a collection that bears witness to the generative life, which I had to look up generative just to make sure that mm-hmm. I knew it was in, in, in order, you know, way of how life is reproducing or evolving. And she says, I'm grateful to have received this life. And she said, if generosity is a keynote of these poems, gratitude is the melody Mm -hmm. they are making. And that has been brought my way. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So the generosity, and I love the thought that she brings generosity to a lot of different topics in her poems. So it's kind of interesting to kind of search for that as you listen to them. Absolutely. Um, I love as well that at the beginning of the book, um, she, she actually included a little short poem by uh, Dorothy Sayers. What? It's like right at the beginning. Read that. I think that's great. I thought this was so funny. Um, Dorothy Sayers. Heaven deliver us. What's a poet? Something that can't go to bed without making a song about it. That's great. <laughs> I just thought that was great. You know, Writers are often put themselves in that same category. They just can't function without making a song or an essay or writing or writing a book or whatever. So what's a poet, someone who can't go to bed without making a song about, about it, about whatever is touching them. And as, as Lucy says, she's still writing every day. So she looks around at life and has something thoughtful and deep to uh, connect to whatever's happening. Well, and I think it's a great reminder for us to open our eyes and to look around at our own lives. Sometimes we miss our own lives. Yeah. Well said. Looking at, at Ooh, it. Yeah. Put that in the front of the book. Sometimes mm. we miss our own lives. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, we, we picked about seven. We'll see if we get through them all, <laughs> but um, you're such a good reader, Anita. I wondered if you could start reading um, the first one that we're going to think about today and then just discuss briefly. Uh, we thought we would go through several of these, read them, and then just give some of our own thoughts about it. And, um, you know, everybody else can chime in too, but this is called The Child. Sounds good. He was everyone's hero, my father, the missionary doctor. In retirement, though never fully, he wore tweed and smelled manly. 60 when I was born, his first child. My mother, 40 even, gave difficult birth under a sheet, 
I was named Lucy and meant to be the light of their lives. Most of what he told me was true, at least for him. His mind always angled at God in an ecstatic slant that was too steep for me. So true? Was Jesus coming to rapture us? And when? And would it be very loud? And would it hurt flying through the roof? Mm -hmm. London and thick fog. Our shopping at Harrods, me waiting in the car, my five-year-old heart pounding with panic that they wouldn't come back and I'd be left. At night, I'd beetle my way into their bedroom to listen for their breathing and know I was not abandoned yet. I worried that I hadn't said the words in the right order or sincerely enough about asking Jesus into my heart. Jesus seemed too big to get in anyway, and he'd know about my lies that put the blame for lying on my little brother. Growing up, I could give God only a teaspoonful of myself. They told me he wanted an overflow, a fire hose worth. It leaks more easily now, tracking its salt down the wrinkles on my cheeks. Mm. Wow. That last line. Mm. Um, you know, she starts as a child, but ends this talking about the wrinkles on her cheek. And the shoulds of what her life of faith in God should look like, how she'd been trained with a lot of fear, mm -hmm. a lot of fear. Jesus is coming. Will you be ready? Will you be left behind and have to suffer through all the cataclysmia? Mm -hmm. And then in her older years, letting some of that out, it leaks more easily now tracking its salt down the wrinkles of my cheek. Yeah. I just think we're hearing so much about that these days after evangelicalism has been so very present since the forties and fifties, there are a lot in the um, current generations who are taking a look back and wondering a little bit, knowing God in new ways. Yes. Questioning mm -hmm. and reevaluating and some, like Lucy at her age in her 80s, look back and are recognizing the fear and then realizing that's not part of God's character. And I think Lucy, um, whether she was encouraged this way or just was inherently this way, certainly was filled with curiosity, which came out mm. in her writing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a part of what's happening today. We are becoming more curious about our own lives mm -hmm. and our own faith and faith stories. And um, it's okay to be asking those questions. In fact, important to be asking those questions. And I love how poetry can move us that direction. Well, and I, I think too, along with that, Anita, whatever your uh, faith tradition or religion, Catholic, Protestant, Buddhist, perhaps, maybe uh, Muslim, you know, the idea that we can question and be curious and think about these things, you know, to your point, more and more are doing that. And so um, I know we are of the Christian faith and something that we are appreciating is asking those questions and tasting the salt and the tears down our face. Yes. But we are also knowing God in 
um, different ways, yeah. deeper, expanding, and sometimes more pleasurable. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think more fresh too. Mm-hmm. Another poem that kind of goes along with that is a look at family and family of origin is something we're hearing a lot about today. And she's right there. That's the name of this next poem that uh, you're going to read, Anita, family of origin. So another look into her family and how she's processing it. Okay. Our parents keep circulating in the rooms of our lives. Mine are long gone, but if it would satisfy them, I would take my heart out of its cage and gift wrap it for their anniversary. I glimpse them often, dad reading a book over my shoulder, now and again offering words of advice that might have made sense 50 years ago. The words form clots in my memory, cells bright as blood, a private language unlike any other. Mm. My mother demanded mountains of me. I managed to supply foothills. They were lovely foothills, but failure would hang in the air. We still seem to meet in the heart of an old argument, words hanging unresolved, glittering sparks in the dark air. Sometimes when I feel most wrong about how to remember them, I am most right, seeing them as they settled into the grooves of my own memory. I am my own narrative arc, yet I arrange the candles and flowers on my mantelpiece the way my mother would have done it. And for my father, I still write small poems, like the ones he carried in his briefcase to show his friends when I was very young. Mm. Oh, that's really interesting. The, the things, the themes that, that continue in our lives, even while we push back against things we don't want to continue in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And that first line, our parents keep circulating in the rooms of our lives. And I wonder again, if this is part of growing older into that season of life where I think often we attribute memory lane to old people as we used to call them or our elders, but we don't often hear about this examination that can also take place. Uh, We don't know when Uh, elders are talking about, I'm remembering the old days or how my Mm. parents or whatever. I I think a question to follow up and ask them might be uh, made with a little curiosity and what comes to mind and, and what was good and what was difficult or what stuck with you or what did you want to do with your own new voice? I like that a lot, not just a recounting of the old stories, but asking questions of the old stories. Asking good questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Asking good questions. You know, I thought it was interesting, the contrast too. you get the feel that dad really um, fed into her mind. Mom was a little bit uh, of, of, uh, you know, a, a, something under the fingernail, (laughs) demanding (laughs) mountains, when all Lucy could give her was foothills. Yeah. And even now those old arguments, things that were unresolved. um, It's interesting. Life certainly does not wrap up as one goes through the seasons of, of life. If you dare to go there, there's still much to learn and and take in from a life lived. Absolutely. Like how she expressed all that. Yeah, I did too. You know, you have an interesting poem queued up for us to 
read and talk about. This is called Telling the Dream. Mm. And I, I say a, a, a little bit about it on the front end, and then maybe you could say more on the back end of it too. Well, you know what? And maybe I'll read this one because this one oh, good, re- good. really hit me. Um, you know, okay. So I'll just preface my remarks with, um, I now live in Southern California and that was my dream to live in Southern California. However, that dream has been very different than the dream I dreamed. (laughs) And, uh, I, I really related when I read this, I think out loud, I just said, oh yes. So let me read it. And then maybe we can talk about it a little bit. So this is called telling the dream. All night, the mattress pressed up under my bones, forcing its way into my sleep like the floor of a tent on gravel. In the narrative of sleep, the bed grew to a beach on which dreams flooded and overflowed and broke and drained away, leaving a muddied trace of last night's color and calamity. Morning, and in my attempt to rehearse the vivid narrative with you, my night companion, the train travel that morphed into a swimming pool, the lovely meteors, the images break apart as words get in the way of my telling, how to hold on to them, how to let them go. Wow. Just an interesting ending. Yes. Yes. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, whoa. And I wasn't, I am a dreamer. I can probably tell you my dream every night. Wow. (laughs) And I know you don't, you don't remember your I dreams want, as no, often. I want to be a dreamer. And in, in five and a half years here in Sarasota, I think I've remembered two. Hmm. And I can only tell you, I can only remember really now recall one. So, I, well, that's interesting that you can even recall it. Yeah. Wow. But you know how it is when, when you do have a dream that you remember, um, you know, you try to explain it. Like the next morning I'll say to Dave, you know what? I had this dream. And I launch and I'm just sure I can explain this, but as I get going, it gets so garbled. And then as I'm explaining it, it's like, this makes no sense at all. And what was so real and felt to me, well, it becomes very frustrating. And to the dreamer, it's an, it's an experience of like knowing exactly the dream and actually feeling it yet. I can't get it out. I can't get the words out. And I was thinking about our Southern California dream. And I thought that's how it's kind of been for me in trying to explain this. I was in a restaurant and we we were talking to someone, you know, this was down at some restaurant by the ocean and, you know, he left and he, after we talked, he's all, you know, don't you just love it here? This or that very upbeat. And I thought, wow, that's kind of naive (laughs) because we don't know what people's dreams are like, or what our opinions are like. But I thought, you know, our dream has been filled with kind of confusion with having to adapt. We ended up in the desert for one year. Now we're at the ocean. Our dog had to be put to sleep five days after we moved here. Uh, We've experienced a lot of personal and spiritual transformation. A lot of issues kind of got raised up in all of the the uh, hoopla of moving things that, you know, family of origin, all kinds of things, a purpose. And so explaining that dream is kind of hard. And I thought how similar it is to our dreams that we have after a night of sleep. And this just kind of informed me, which I think uh, poetry can do. It can give us words for our experiences. 
yes. and knowledge that um, we don't really have the words and thoughts put together. I thought, you, you know, maybe something I could say to others is, you know, it's kind of like a dream that makes a lot of sense to you and you wake up yes. and try to explain it to others and it just comes out garbled. All I can say is it's been very surprising and a very interesting experience. Mm. And if people want to know more, they can ask me. But uh, like the guy in the restaurant, there was just too much to tell, you know, about our experience. And it's been interesting. Some of our friends from back home, you, you know, are, everybody is pulling for you. And everybody, of course, even nobody wants you to have a nightmare, right? Right, right. We want people to have good dreams. And right. we say at night, sweet dreams. Right. But they're often kind of confusing and weird. And you can even look at biblical texts. Oh, yeah. Some of these odd dreams or the book of Revelation. How do you make sense of all that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I just appreciated. She's just great at last lines. How to yes. hold on to the dream. How did Dave and I hold on to our dream of moving to Southern California and how to let go of other things as a part of the dream as well? So mm. just an example, I think of something that kind of connected and maybe will help me express myself in at least this topic mm. a little bit better to myself and others. Well, and I think one of the things that I'm hearing is, you know, someone listening is, is struggling, um, maybe dive into some poetry because you might be surprised mm. at what you find that might be able to help you make sense of, mm. um, what you're personally going through. I, you know, I love the practice Lexio Divina. I do it here on the podcast, a release of Lexio Divina on Wednesdays, but I think you can do that same Lexio practice with poetry mm. and it can be really helpful. Very and so. I, I love that you, um, that this, you know, came into your life and was helpful, um, in a specific way. I like that mm. a lot. Mm. And I'm thinking too, of the Psalms don't race through those. Yeah. Think about every line. When somebody says I had tears upon my bed, or I thought I was going to die. Think about that. When people think they're going to die, <laughs> that's pretty dramatic. That's big. Yeah. Try to think about it in, in this century's kind of language. And again, similarly to Lexio Divina, I think like, try to think more deeply. What were these people saying? What was life like? And how did they find God in their circumstances? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, um, I really like this next one called the knitting mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, maybe, well, maybe I should read it. And then I think it'd be interesting for you to, to tell that you just launched into something having to do with knitting. Yes, I did. All right, go <laughs> ahead. The knitting. First, it's the yarn that beckons, fleece buttery with lanolin from the just shorn sheep, a woolly proof against wind and rain, combed, carded, spun, it becomes a skein of possibility. For color, dunk it in a vegetable stew, petals, leaves, bark, seeds, until it rises from the vat like an animal and offers itself into your hands. It was the habit of my New Zealand aunt to gather damaged fleeces from the local farmer's black, black sheep. Once she mailed across an ocean 10 pounds of dense yarn spun on her wheel for me to knit into a suit. Mm. Later, I ripped it out, repurposed it, ample material for sweaters, socks, caps. 
like the way we sometimes need to switch directions in our lives, developing original patterns, growing designs never seen before. (laughs) That for me really fits in with the dream home. Oh, totally. Here's part two. You've got the original pattern, but we're having to rip that apart and take it all out. And like you said, Anita, I just, I've been once and I'm going again this week to a a nearby church's knitting group. They knit prayer shawls. Love it. So they, they must've had great hopes for me because they gave me two skeins of this, you know, yarn and the needles and everything. And, um, it's already gotten into a mess, but that's okay because I'm learning, but I, uh, I just thought that she was so courageous to, first of all, rip out all that she'd done goodness, and repurpose it for, for other things. And I did think of you, Anita, with your past year and how I have watched you since you took a tumble last year and, (laughs) and you had to adjust a little bit and how things have changed for you. I see you pulling out the yarn from a suit (laughs) and repurposing it. Do you relate to that? Oh, I relate to it so much. And I'm even thinking as I heard it from her poem, um, sometimes we need someone to say it outright like she did, uh, give us permission mm-hmm. to read. Sometimes it's some major disaster that comes into our lives or something very unexpected, uh, an injury as it was in my case. Um, and so you don't have a choice. Well, you do have a choice. You could you know, kind of wallow in it or sit there and decide not to work at improving or, but I realized that, yeah, I needed to move forward into, for me, into creative avenues and kind of knit a new suit and things needed to look um, a different way, a way that became a new and beautiful way of life that I do not um, regret. And in fact, I think boy, if I hadn't fallen, had a traumatic brain injury, I, I don't think any of this would have unfolded for me in the Mm. creative artistic realm Mm. at all. Because now you're knitting sweaters, socks, and caps. That's right. To use her words. But I want to ask you a question. You just seem to like all of a sudden start doing it again. It, what didn't seem like it was like, oh, well, what do I do now? All of a Ugh. sudden you got turned on to this. Am I right? Or Well, and I think what's so fascinating about it is Mike and I, it's rare that we have any kind of big disagreement or argument, <laughs> but one of them that we had was the day we were moving from Chicago to Sarasota. We were packing stuff in these pods for the move. And we were at the very end, and the only thing left were the bins of my arts and crafts materials. And Mike said, we don't have any room. And I said, we will make room. (laughs) He said, there's no way. And there was another friend, a mutual friend standing there, and he looks at me and he goes, I'll find room. (laughs) And I go, and I'll help you. And Mike Mike walked away and we found room, man. We Mm. But get this, got it here, put it on shelves. I did not touch it for five years. And I thought, I have thought several times, wow, maybe Mike was right. Why did I, why did I Mm -hmm. insist? Why Mm -hmm. was I so insistent on bringing this? And then it's like, okay, this is why I brought it. I think, I think I maybe even intuitively knew that creative 
exercise, creativity, any artistic work would be healing. Hmm. And, and, and I was at the pool the other day and ran into a woman who's had two traumatic brain injuries and out of the blue, she said, creativity is what helps heal brain oh, injuries. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, okay, well, but how did you know to do that? All of a sudden I remember you were like your kitchen table. You'd send me oh, a tax picture a was yeah. full of stuff. You just were in it. I, I think I couldn't, conscious? I th- a little of both. I couldn't, I was still wobbly. I couldn't walk well. I w- had balance issues. I couldn't do a lot outside. So what could I do? I didn't want to sit there in a recliner watching TV 24 mm-hmm. seven. I've seen too many people do that. <laughs> like That's not, I, that's not who I'm going to be, <laughs> you know, not that I don't enjoy a good movie and mm-hmm. series, <laughs> but um, I knew I, I needed to do something. So I think it was a little of both mm. um, out of need. And I just had this sense that I needed some kind of creative outlet. And, and it was doable. It was it, doable yes. for you. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Well, I'd like to ask Lucy, how did you know when you should rip out the suit? Yes, right. What, what was that about? Yeah, well, mm. interesting. Um, this next poem I thought was just kind of fun. It's taken out of uh, Genesis 8, and it's around the story of Noah and the ark. It's called Dove. And um, we don't know what gender the dove was that Noah let out, but Lucy is writing it from a female dove's perspective. And again, her last line, wait for it. So here's the dove. All right. Surely Noah's dove had a husband along with all the others. We guess they'd entered the ark, a couple. So why not him? Those were the days of patriarchy. Female that she was expected to do as she was told, patiently repeating her reconnaissance over the vast sheets of water. Wives are such hard workers, out and back, out and back, an empty beak without complaining, until success, that green olive leaf, we hope she got a pat on her little pigeon head for her hard work. Mm. And once more, and this time, freedom. No way would she go back. (laughs) That just made me laugh. She was I like, I'm that. not going back. Nope. Not Once going back to the, boat and that's it. Yeah. Not Done. going back to that stinky arc and the husband, maybe, or the partner <laughs> or somebody telling me what to do. And, you know, that would be fun to talk with Lucy about is, <laughs> wouldn't it be um, just, yes. You know, where did, where did this come from? And just the freedom and moving against patriarchy. That's what I loved to go out there (laughs) over a virtual ocean and let us know what's going on. And then how she honors wives as hard workers out and back, out and back, coming back empty without complaining and trying it again. And, you know, one of the other things I thought about, I thought of her age and I thought, boy, she's seen many faces of patriarchy in her lifetime. And I wonder what that looked like in her earlier days versus Mm -hmm. even inserting that word in, in this particular poem that, uh, from a book that was written later in her life. 
I thought mm-hmm. that was fascinating too. Yeah. Hmm. Well, where should we go next? Let's go. Let's see. Heart work. How about that? Okay. Okay. How about I'll read this one? Good. Yes. Okay. Heart work. My heart is a bird perched on the upper balcony of my mind. My heart is a baby in utero engaged in private work. My heart is a stone until I turn it over and find life teeming underneath. Heartwork. She is the queen of the final line. <laughs> she really you know, is. I, um, that's so interesting. Those just, you know, obviously it's just three short stanzas. We can see it because we're looking at the print version, mm-hmm. but three short stanzas, three different pictures that uh, word pictures that we um, get to hear. And, and again, I wonder if this comes from season of life for the first, uh, it's the heart pictured as a bird perched on the upper balcony of the mind, kind of yep. observing right from the mm-hmm. balcony, yep. looking around, going to the bathroom, going out for snacks, yep. you know, looking at the watch, enjoying it, you know, uh, enjoying the show. Then my heart is like a baby in the womb engaged in private work. That's when we kind of wake up. Oh Yeah. And then lastly, my heart is a stone. And while we really have to keep our lives from becoming hard and cold, but stones are also resilient. They're year round, of course, in the Midwest or the desert, desert heat, um, you know, stones withstand a lot. They're resilient. Mm-hmm. And then you turn it over and there's oh, yeah. a whole world going on. Oh yeah. I'm, I'll never forget a as a kid digging up stones, mm. turning them over and being scared at all the stuff that was crawling out from under there, you know, lots of life. Yeah. Wow. And Good that's, the, that's curiosity. That's interesting. That's mystery. That's discovery. And all the life that you find underneath that rock leads you down some other path. Then you start following the bug that's crawling out from underneath and uh, just so much there. What a progression. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's do one more serious one and then maybe end on a, on a light note. What, what, what do you want to do? Um, you know, I thought this was really, really touching. It's called midnight. You read this, Anita, you'll be so good at this. It's called midnight. And, you know, in the midnight of our lives, you know, the scripture says the sun won't smite you by day or the, you know, air or whatever moon by night or whatever, but you know, nighttime is a hard time. We're exhausted and life, right. We all know life looks uh, a lot more complicated in the, in the dark of night. Yes. But this I thought was so touching and the way, well, you'll have to hear how she describes describes it as Anita reads it. Midnight. In bed, and a kind of loneliness settles. I am wakeful, wondering. I reach out my hand from under the sheet and over the edge into the empty space beyond and feel for God's hand, his large calloused palm, a shallow cave, fingers curling their intimate way around mine, Not a word spoken, but in the dark air, a glow 
like a nightlight near the door. Doesn't that just sound like a grandfather's hand? Totally. That's what I was thinking of. Big, thick, wrinkled hand. And I can just, I can feel it even right now with you and I talking in my stomach. Mm -hmm. I can just feel what that would be like putting your hand in that moment into this comfortable, thick, gnarly hand and feeling safe and distracted and secure. Uh, But as I read this, you know, I I also thought that's not what everybody feels. Well, it's true. When they put their hand out from underneath the sheet. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we go through times in life where there's, we don't feel anything. We don't feel that hand. So there is that too. Um, I loved, uh, you know, like a nightlight near the door We're we're all, we always want that little bit of light. Uh, but to your point, but sometimes that's not the case for everyone. And sometimes we go through those very dark seasons and, um, uh, but I, yeah, there's something about this poem that I loved. And this poem might um, get your imagination going. And mm-hmm. so sometimes that sacred imagination can, can imagine if you, if you don't naturally feel that um, when you don't naturally feel the hand there, um, yeah. you can imagine it and yeah. see where that leads us to. So Nice to think about, you know, I know you said end with a, a fun one and we can do that, but I, I wish you would read what to listen for, because this reminded me of you. It talks about the ocean and the Atlantic ocean. And I thought about Maine. Ah, uh, okay. And I know yeah. that, that you spent so much time there and, um, maybe you could read, read it to us. I thought this was interesting too. I, I don't know how a poet chooses Uh, the order of poems, but this is the very last one in the book Mm -hmm. too. What to listen for. What to listen for when seeing is blotted out. Say the fog has drifted in from the Atlantic, crawling its cold fingers up the rocks, a tide of sound washing in and out, indeterminate. We've been there before, so we think we can fill in the details but of course it will never be the same. Thanks be to God for all that we cannot see yet. I loved that line. We've been here before like ocean waves that go in and out from the shore. And we think we know the territory we're in, but the waves are different. Life is different. It will never be the same. And then that last line, giving thanks to God for all that we can't see of, of what is to come. And can we give thanks? I don't know. I, I can't always give thanks. I can give a lot of worry. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, to that, to the point of that, the struggle to give thanks and, and giving thanks is, you know, certainly a, a spiritual practice that we can engage in. And I think when we struggle to give thanks, um, think about those things that we can give thanks for. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it can start us moving Mm -hmm. down that path. Mm -hmm. What are the little things that maybe we can give thanks for? The ability to breathe in, breathe out, or, you know, fill in the blank. The The little things that we do know we can appreciate. Right. Even though other things we don't know yet. Yep. Mm. 
So nice. Well, the last poem that we thought we'd look at today or listen to today is called Enthusiasm. Why don't you do this? Why don't you read this one? Okay. Enthusiasm. Rejoice leaps from the crocus up, thrusting through scarves of old leaves from river edge where ducklings paddle in the fresh freedom of water. Joy frolics with the young deer in the open meadow flooded with sun. Ardor shines in each star of cold, fulfilling some purpose appointed by heaven, like a choir of little children off key, but undimmed. The splash a drop makes in a pond, the flame leap on a single just lit candle. Joy. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> to your point about giving thanks, Anita, you know, another is to, to look for those splashes of joy and nature is such a wonderful place to do that. And of course, Mary Oliver, the poet, was so known for that, of connecting spirit to, to nature and um, just putting our feet in, in the grass bare, barefoot and closing our eyes and putting it, you know, in the ocean, perhaps if you live near one and taking it in, feeling grounded, giving thanks, looking at this choir in the sky as she describes these, these cold stars that fulfill some purpose for some mm -hmm. reason, mm -hmm. splashed with that, the it. sky splashed with the, the stars at night, looking for joy. And, and I'm just thinking that, um, you know, we have the ability to look up poetry on the internet, even if you don't have a book of good poetry in your possession. Uh, maybe you want to get um, a book of poems that Lucy Shaw wrote. This one, the info is in the show notes, but but take a poem. Don't, don't read too many so that you lose the meaning mm. of one. Savor them. Maybe sit with one a day um, in, in the similar way that we do a few verses of scripture. I, I just think that um, God speaks to us in many ways, and um, beautiful, thoughtful poetry is certainly one of those ways. I went to a group, um, a poetry group, in when we lived in the desert, um, and we uh, had a book of poems by Mary Oliver. And the woman who led the group was a former nun, actually, and she said it is what got her through COVID. That's a pretty big statement. That's a big statement. I love that. I can fully understand that and relate. Well, because I, I, I think she, of poetry for me, I, I was writing those little haiku poems, mm. great shakes, but that was a piece of my COVID journey. So I love that she said that about yeah. reading poetry. That's And I've enjoyed that too, that five syllable, seven syllable, five syllable rhythm, putting your thoughts down to fit into that framework can be so helpful, but yeah, she, she said it got her through COVID and she was so good at drawing out things oh. that everybody else was like, what? <laughs> so poetry, you know, if you're in a discussion group, you might try it for a week or two and you could photocopy some poems and give them to everybody and ask them to come back with some thoughts. It's amazing how everyone has a different perspective. I might agree. That's so good. I think you're good at drawing things out of poetry. Mm. I, yeah. Well, this was well, delightful right now. Ah, well, I certainly enjoyed this. Um, the generosity, great title, the generosity poems by Lucy Shaw. 
And again, all that info is in the show notes. Melinda, thank you for being into poetry and elevating this and bringing it um, to us here on Faith Conversations. Just wonderful. It's been a lovely time. And I hope uh, people have grabbed onto some things. And uh, as always, I'll encourage you to keep the conversation going. 